Well, good morning, Peachtree. It is good to be back. And I want to thank Rich for allowing me, for inviting me to be back with you. And what a warm welcome Jay and the team and all of you have given. And I needed a warm welcome this morning because I don't like this weather. That's why I was hoping to come here. So I'm sorry we brought the cold with us. Um, It has been almost seven years since I was last here standing in this place. But I have been watching and praying and cheering for you uh, from up in Bethlehem, and I have loved watching you live out this mission of joining Christ daily in the restoration of all things. Many of you have already asked how things are going up at uh, Grace Church Bethlehem, and we are in the last months of construction on our new church campus. I thought you might want to see a rendering. That's the church we're building, and it is almost ready. That's what it looks like now. So we are very excited. We'll be moving into that new church campus in uh, March of 2023, just in time for Easter. So I'd love if you would continue to pray for our church as we look forward to that really, really exciting milestone. But as real as the construction is on that building with cranes and uh, lifts and steel and stone, what's even more real and even more thrilling is how God builds his church. He builds his people. He's doing that in Bethlehem. He's doing it right here in Atlanta. And he does it all around the world. And he does it in all generations. God has been building you here this year on this quest journey. And I feel very honored to get to preach the penultimate sermon of your series. And for the penultimate series, I I want us to look at the ultimate word of this book that's so beautifully highlighted in the book of 1 John. What's the word? Love. Love is one of the most used words in the human language. If you were to Google love, please don't right now, but if you did that, you would get 16,260,000,000 responses. Of course, there are all kinds of love. You can love your Starbucks or your Diet Coke. Uh, You can love your Braves or your Bulldogs. Uh, You can love your deepest relationships, this side of heaven. Love can be a noun, love can be a verb. When someone declares their love, love can have all kinds of nuances, like this love letter. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. (laughs) It's good, especially this week, right? This year you have been on a quest and you've been identifying all these themes of scripture, but you also know that this book is really about God's quest for you. And that gets back to this word, love. This book is God's love story. It's his quest of you. God never gives up. He always pursues. He always loves. And you can read this book from Genesis all the way to Revelation through the lens of love. It's very fitting that we would get a lot of love from John. Of course, he's known as the beloved disciple. 
John has heard Jesus talking about love, saying that this is the, the greatest, the greatest commandment. John heard Jesus say to the disciples, love one another. But John also saw Jesus' love. Jesus loved people. Jesus loved crowds. Jesus loved children. And most powerful, I hope you, you can get your mind on this. John himself stood at the foot of the cross and saw Jesus' love as he took his last breath. Powerful. So John heard love, and he saw love. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote about love a lot. In the Gospel of John, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and in the book of Revelation, Love just keeps coming up. In the book of 1 John alone, love shows up 47 times. And almost a third of those show up in the six verses we're going to look at today. Now before we read it, a quick review, love is all over the Bible, but there are four kinds of love in the Bible. Maybe you've read C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. There's storge love, and there's philia love, and there's eros love, and there's agape love. Every time we read the book love in 1 John, it's agape love. So as we read these verses, I want you to help me. Every time you see a highlighted word, would you read that word with me? And I think you will get the trend. You ready? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Get the theme? 15 times. 15 times in those six verses we get love. And whenever we see repetition in the Bible, we should stop, slow down, and pay attention. So what is John saying to us? He starts out by giving us the origin of love. Agape love is from God. But John doesn't stop there. He says God is love. Without God, there can't be love because God is love. I want you to think for just a moment about the most loving person that you know. 
Maybe it's your grandfather. Maybe it's your mother. You might say that your grandfather or your mother is loving. But you would never say your grandfather or your mother is love. See, only God can survive that little word is between him and love. Only God deserves that. Now, some modern theologians uh, want to read that phrase backwards. But you can't transpose God is love to love is God. John does not say love is God. Because God can never be reduced to one thing. God is love, but he's so much more than that. So here's what we've learned so far. First, love is from God. Second, God is love. And then John gets more specific. He says, God shows us love. See, God's love is an active love. Agape love is love that does. So God showed his love when he sent his only son into the world to be, big word, the propitiation for our sin. That's not a word we use a lot. I suspect today at brunch, you will not use the word propitiation. But maybe you should, a good challenge, right? Do that. It means to make right. It means to make up for. Jesus made us right with God by his death on the cross. Jesus took our place. He made up for our sins when he gave his perfect life. From the very beginning, God is always showing his love. He always loves. When Adam and Eve chose their own way, God still loved. When God's people broke the Ten Commandments, God still loves. When God's people even turned away from him and worshipped other gods, God still loved. When God's people disappoint God, God still loves. When you're too busy for God, or you ignore God, or even if you defy God, God still loves. See, his love isn't theoretical, it is expressed in action, it's shown. Aren't you glad that God didn't just stay up in heaven and say, well, I hope you can get your act together, I hope you can figure it out. No, God sent Jesus to earth as the most tangible demonstration of love ever known. Now, some of you know this. Uh, pets never stuck for the crumplers. We like other people's pets. We're not against them, but they just don't work for us. We had a few swings and misses with geckos and hermit crabs, so we should have known better. But 10-year-old John begged us for a fish tank. Now it started with a fish he brought home from science class and we actually liked that fish. It was fun to watch and so the idea of looking at more fish started to grow on us a little bit. So we jumped. We learned how to clean the tank. 
We learned how much food to put in the tank. And we did really great with community fish. And then we decided to add a semi-aggressive fish. Now here it is, it doesn't look that fierce at Petco, right? But his name should have been a clue. He was a red-tailed shark fish. Now for a while, the fish kind of played nice. But then fish starting disappearing. First it was one, and then it was two, and the shark fish was over here, and all the other fish were over here, and they would come over, and he would just nip, and then he'd go back, and nip and go back. Eventually, he killed all but three of the fish in our tank. Some of you might be here today and you might think that that's the way God works. If you're far away from him, you have to stay that way because your life is a mess and you've made mistakes and you want to keep your distance. You're afraid that if God got too close, he might zap you. But that's not what God does. God loves. His love for you is not based on feelings. It's not even based on your actions. God is love. So if you think you could never experience God's love, you can. If you think you don't need God's love, you do. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. See, God's love. He's all about giving and not getting. He doesn't love you for what you do. He loves you because of who he is. See, love isn't just the lens of scripture. Love is God's lens. It's who he is. It's how he sees you and how he sees the world. And that's why he sent his son. But John doesn't stay there with love. He takes this Next big step. He says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He says, because you've experienced this incredible, outrageous love from God, beloved, you should love others. See, it isn't just God's plan to show you the love and to make you right with God. His plan is much bigger than that. See, this is the love that changes you and then compels you to love. Now, love starts from God, but then it flows from God as the source. And it comes to you. God made you able to love. He made you in his image. And a part of that image is that you can love. You can love God, and you can love others. I bet many of you have been to the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican, and if you have, almost in the the middle of that beautiful ceiling, Michelangelo painted the creation of Adam. God's hand is outstretched towards Adam giving him the the spark of his life. 
from God's finger. The spark goes from God to Adam, and Adam's hand is stretched to receive it, mirroring the position of God's hand. But if you look carefully, the two never touch. But God is clearly the creator and the giver, while Adam is the created and the receiver. It's a beautiful image of God creating us. He made us and everything we have emanates from him. Just as John says, love comes from God. We get it from him. But God wants us to give it away. See, because God sees us through a lens of love, he wants us to see each other through this lens of love. You know, there are so many ways we can view the world, especially these days. So I wonder, how do you see it? Do you see through a lens of fear? Or jealousy? Or anger? Or disinterest? Or disappointment? God is at work in your life to give all those lenses up so that you can see the world through a lens of love. See, when you know God's love, you see the world differently. You see people differently. Every time I come to Atlanta, I have all these memories of raising our kids here, and, and I'll never forget this regular family ritual, and I bet many of you have done this. About every six months, we would go into John's room, and we would go to the, the door jam of the closet, and we would line the kids up, both of them, up against the door, and we would take a ruler, and then we would take a pencil, and we would mark how tall they were and what date that was. It's very interesting to look back on. See, sometimes it would show only a small difference, but other times it was a huge difference. One time we measured and Anna told us that her boots didn't go up as far as her leg this year. One time John had grown almost five inches, big or small. We could see it. Our kids were growing. See, when you understand how God has loved you, the Holy Spirit starts to work in your life. And God grows you in this loving that just doesn't come naturally. See, that's his plan. He wants your love to grow. And as you get to know his love more, you can love more. Now, you're not going to get it all right. And you, you, there are going to be times when you blow it. But you should see a difference in your life. You should be growing in your love. See, with Jesus at work in you, you can choose to give rather than take. You can choose to love people who are really hard to love. Those EGR people, do you know what that is? Extra grace required people. You can love them. You can love your friend who has no boundaries. You can love your ex-wife. 
You can love your rebellious children or even your enemy. You can love them whether they deserve it or not. See, God loves you. And he calls you to love each other. But there's one more jump John makes. 1 John 4.12, it says this. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay, so John says no one can see God. No one can, can handle his glory until we get to heaven. But don't miss this. When people who don't know God see you loving they actually see God. God's love, which starts in himself, is made known through Jesus and is shown to the world through you. You are the lens. People see God by the way that you love. Your love is literally a continuation of this book, this love story. Your life and your love keep the story going. You are plan A, as you say around here, for joining Christ in the restoration of all things. It's love. Some of you may know Michael Frost. Uh, he's a Christian writer and thinker, and he wrote this great book, and I want to read part of it for you. Um, he wrote how the earliest believers were this lens for the world to see God. Here's what he says. He says, literally hundreds of thousands of ordinary believers were infiltrating every aspect of society and living the kind of questionable lives that evoked curiosity in the Christian message. Those earliest believers devoted themselves to sacrificial acts of kindness. They loved their enemies and forgave their persecutors. They cared for the poor and fed the hungry. In the brutality of life under Roman rule, they were the most stunningly different people anyone had ever seen. Indeed, their influence was so surprising that even the fourth century emperor, Julian, feared that they might take over the empire. <clears throat> Julian was concerned that the Christians' acts of hospitality and philanthropy were winning too many of his subjects. Julian decided to launch an offensive against them by mobilizing his officials and the pagan priesthood to outlove the Christians. He decreed that a system of food distribution be started and that hostels be built for poor travelers. Perhaps not surprisingly, Julian's new social program utterly failed. He couldn't motivate pagan priests or Roman officials to care that much for the poor. He failed to realize that the Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit of love and motivated by his grace. The message they shared that God loved the world was absurd to the average Roman the pagan gods cared nothing for humankind, and yet in the miserable world of the Roman Empire, the Christians not only proclaimed the love of God, they demonstrated it. Mark and I love movies, and whenever we go, we always get there early enough to see the trailers. Is that you? 
That's us. You know what I'm talking about. They're short previews of movies that are coming out soon. In the trailers, they show the best special effects. They show the funniest scenes. They show the most romantic moments. When you see the trailer, you really get the best of the movie. Now, if a trailer does its job, I lean over to Mark and say, I want to see that. Folks, people are watching you live. And I pray that all throughout Atlanta, people will see you and see your love. And they'll say, I want to see that. I want to see more of that. See, when they do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will see the one who loved them so much that he gave his life. May you be a trailer. Let's pray. God, thank you for your lens of love, for loving us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, and would you, by the power of your spirit, be at work in us to keep that lens on us as we live in the world that you so loved. God, would you make us the lens so that more and more people would want to see, would want to find, would want to follow Jesus. We pray it in his name.